Good morning. I was feeling really small for a while, and for somebody of my stature, that's quite a, quite a feat. We are so blessed. The music, the truth that was shared in the prayers this morning, the singing, being here together on the first day of the year. We're just blessed, and I was humbled, and I was sitting there, and I was thinking, what do I have that I can add to this? And as I was thinking that, I looked up, and I don't know if you've noticed that, but behind the screen, there's a, there's a wonderful crash up there. And I was looking at that, and I noticed the donkey on the right-hand side, and I thought, you know, the angel spoke through the mouth of an ass, he can probably speak through me. <laughs> so we're going to give it a shot this morning. Um, Happy New Year. I, I had this vague idea that I was up here on the first Sunday of 2022 as well. Okay, are we starting a tradition here? <clears throat> because if we are, it means I have to live through this year long enough to get to the first Sunday of next year. Um, it occurs to me that I'm between a rock and a hard place right now. I'm going to speak to you this morning between the revelry of ringing in the new year last night and the potluck supper that's going to follow immediately afterwards. So stay with me, okay? At, at least this means yes, this means no. Don't fall asleep. All right, my intention this morning is, is not to provide um, a, a masterly integrated exposition of scripture. That's, as Brian mentioned, that's not what I usually do. I leave that to him. But I do think I have some thoughts that I could share with you this morning. I'll keep it short and hopefully everyone will have at least one thing that they can take home with them when they go that will help them with a new beginning. I'm gonna ask the guys to play a video in just a second here. As Brian indicated, as Pastor Brian indicated, this is a video that we made in 2012, Trish and I, when we were on the mission field in Zambia. I'm gonna ask you to look at the circumstances that are represented in the video and consider that you could be there. We've had so many people over the years who have said, oh, I could never do what you've done. Well, that was me before we went, that we couldn't do it. But we felt a call and we answered the call. And as we start the new year, there are many of us that are feeling calls, and I want to encourage you. So just consider for a minute, put yourself in Trisha's in my place, and I, I will come around with some concluding remarks at the end of the teaching to summarize why we did this with the video, okay? So Adrian, thanks. Zambia. The final resting place of David Livingston, the land of the Zambezi River and the mighty Victoria Falls. 
home and workplace of Pete and Trish DeBrule. At 420 square feet, our house is small, but it's perfect. dichotomies. Water tanks filled by hand because there's no electricity, but cell phones everywhere when signal is available. Fresh veggies for us and to share. Our home is part restaurant, part place to hang out. Part beauty salon, part library, and part classroom. It's a land where kids grow up fast, and life, well, life is hard work. And it's full of fun and surprises.
life here is about teaching, whether on the front porch or in the classroom, with children or adults. This is why we're here. Men and women church leaders come together every week for study of the word and for training. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Thanks to Adrian who figured out how to make that work on our system. It was a complicated thing, I guess. All right. Um, just to put this into context, you've got two people who are in their mid-50s, suburbanites. We speak French and English. We have some education. We're active in our church. And we go to a village in Zambia in the middle of nowhere, we built that house um, to work with people that we really don't know. And we don't even speak the language. Um, were we a little nuts? Maybe. You know, uh, again, think about if it were you in our position. But we clung to what the Lord had told us and clung to the idea that uh, the wisdom of man is foolishness to God and therefore we could, we could go ahead with this because he had called us to it. There's a quote, a Shakespearean quote from Julius Caesar that says, and I'll read it to you, there is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune, omitted all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and miseries. On such a full sea, we are now afloat, and we must take the current when it serves or lose our adventures. This is William Shakespeare. This is not scripture. But if you think about what he's saying, the time is now. We... We're not going to get a chance to go back. The time is now. This is the first day of 2023. Next year, I'll probably be standing up here again, and we can look back at what's happened. But my question to you today is, what is it that's out ahead of you right now? Even lost people 
understand the pressure and in inevitability of change. John Shedd said, a ship in a harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. Ships have a purpose. They are designed and they are built to accomplish something. We have a purpose. We've been saved at a price. We have an opportunity to be in relationship and fellowship and communion with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he calls us to him and he works through us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the Gospel of John chapter 3 and verse 16. It's probably the best known passage of scripture. And it is absolutely vital to what we have to say today. You've undoubtedly at some point in life found yourself wishing you could begin again. Perhaps you became disappointed in your career realizing that you've not accomplished all that you would have hoped to accomplish. Maybe it's as simple as you had to take an exam that you hadn't properly prepared for and you could go back, you wished that you could go back and do it over again. If Jared would hear, were here, he would tell you that it's the first shot off the tee on the golf course and they've actually invented a name for it. It's called a mulligan. Well, life doesn't give us mulligans for everything. Life is not static. Life doesn't stand still. It's a flowing stream. And the moments go by quickly. Trish and I have been members in this church now for a couple of years. And we look around at the kids. If you want validity of what I'm saying here, just think of our children and how fast they're growing up. You don't need a clock, you just need to look at the kids. As children, we've all looked at sticks and leaves in a stream and watched them go by. Life is a stream, it's not waiting for us. Are we really just sticks in a stream headed towards the bend down there? Life is defined by opportunities. And many of them we can create ourselves, whether the opportunities are seized or missed is dependent on our decisions at the time of the opportunity. Seldom do we have a realistic opportunity to begin again. However, be encouraged. I am convinced that in the Lord we can begin again. We can be giving up. We have a second chance. Especially, we can have a second chance at a life that will fulfill our inmost, most elementary desires. Life is to be lived boldly. We are created with an adventuresome spirit that longs to see what lies over the next mountain. Always reaching for the next great challenge. I read a quote somewhere, dead at 25 and buried at 85. Dead at 25, buried at 85. There's humor in that. 
But my prayer is that there's nobody here who relates personally to that. Dead at 25, buried at 85. There lies within each individual a God-shaped void that can be filled only through intimate knowledge of the true and living God. Those who choose to fill that void are equipped to live adventurously, exuberantly, living confidently and energetically. Living a life that the master described, the master being Jesus, described as abundant. John 10.10 says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Those of you who are approximately my age will remember a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman called The Great Adventure. It's a terrific song, and it speaks exactly to what I'm talking about now. Do you have abundant life? Are you experiencing all that our Heavenly Father desires for you? I remember, and I, I can't quote it exactly, but the essence of, of this statement was, the object of life is not to be lowered composedly into the grave, but to skid in sideways, completely worn out, yelling, hooey, what a ride, okay? We're encouraged to live our lives that way as Christians. We have nothing to lose. We already have everything there is. We have the promise of eternity in the perfection of God's love. Why not hit the grave worn out? Why not hit the grave knowing that we've left nothing on the table? We've given everything to God. Many professed Christians live safe lives. They go to church. They go to church instead of being the church. Being the church is messy. It requires that we involve ourselves in the lives of fellow believers, encouraging each one to explore how best to serve God while holding one another responsible for godliness. holding one another responsible for godliness. Going to church costs nothing emotionally and demands little of us intellectually. There is no responsibility imposed in going to church, but being the church makes us individually and collectively responsible for one another. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures here. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And Hebrews 10.24-25. through 25, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Opting to live safe lives, worship becomes an expression of who we are. 
instead of being a discovery of who God is. Professed Christians choosing to live safely seek a religion that makes them feel good about themselves instead of embracing worship as the spontaneous event arising from the knowledge that they have been in the presence of the true and living God. Worship is not a duty. It's an opportunity. Has worship for you become a mere formality? A series of activities so routine that you perform the act without thinking? Does worship consist of what you do? Or is worship defined by the one whom you meet? Has service to God become duty? I had a friend, one of the gentlemen, if, you, if, if the picture were up there, I could point out Christopher to you. Christopher was a young man, and he was zealous in the ways of the elders. And we had a discussion. We used to teach all day, um, and so we would break for lunch, and the ladies would prepare a meal for us. And boy, Christopher was into praying. You had to pray before you ate. It was required. It was a sin if you didn't pray before you ate. So I asked him, you know, can, can you show me the justification for that? No, you just, you have to pray. You have to pray. It's required. And I said, well, why do you pray? He said, to give thanks. And I said, if you go home and your wife has burned the Enshima, okay, are you thankful that she burned the Enshima? And he said, no. I said, well, are you going to pray and give thanks? We had, we spent the rest of the afternoon discussing that among the guys. <laughs> you don't burn Enshima and get away with it. Whatever happened, whatever became of men who lived courageously with a godly purpose indelibly marking their lives, men that you just know, there's something special about this person, men that you know that if you walk in, in their shadow, you're in the right place. What became of women whose lives were distinguished by quiet dignity and power that grew out of time spent in the presence of the Lord God. Where is the congregation that's determined to stand firm in the faith delivered to the saints? Have we become mere practitioners of religion or are we fellow workers together with God holding evil at bay and glorifying him? Dear family, we can attempt to have safe religion but we cannot know the power of God until we venture forth into a glorious world where he reigns as master. We can never know his glory until we start again rejecting the staid, mundane, and common world of safe religion. You, as a child of God, when you tell another of the life offered in Christ the Lord, you're part of a great unseen fellowship. You become one with the master, speaking according to his grace and standing with the apostles and the prophets. Wherever we are led by the Lord Jesus, we are not alone 
Rather, we are part of a great host of witnesses. And if that sounds like something out of scripture, it's because I can read you Hebrews 2, uh, 12, 1 and 2. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that encumbers. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If we want something a little less, no less powerful, but less complicated perhaps, we'll try Isaiah 41.13. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Transitions, whether in employment or in attitude, are often painful. They require us to release. We have to release, let go of what was in order to seize what is. Jesus is the reality of creation. Jesus is not some crazy philosophical idea. Jesus is reality. Everything was made through him. We are here because of him. He is the reality of creation. The past must have no further claim on the one who would be born in the spirit. Such a transition may be frustrating to the one who's invested much in the life that is passing away. Uh, in November, uh, I qualified for Medicare. For some of you, that brings a date to mind. I've been around a while, and I've invested in various things over the years. Some were blessed, some were profane. But anytime you change, there is a requirement that you abandon the investments that you've made in order to be able to pursue the future. Now, I'm not talking about investments in the Lord. Okay, don't, please, give me some grace here. I'm talking about the things that have occupied us and into which we've poured our times and ta time and talents, which have nothing to do with our faith and everything to do with what we want. I think it was Teddy Roosevelt that said, I want what I want when I want it. Okay, that's the stuff that we have to left behind, leave behind. Change is inevitable. Those who reject it will be broken by it. Those that reject it will miss opportunities for communion and fulfillment. The freedom that is offered in an intimate relationship with our Lord is without comparison. Hebrews 6.2 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Begin again. John 8.36 says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you will be free indeed. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new 
every morning. That's in Lamentations. How can such an encouraging piece of scripture come out of Lamentations? You know? I have a friend in South Carolina. <coughs> Her name is Linda Prince. She's a little older than I am. Wise Christian lady. Wise as a Christian, but also wise in the ways of the world. I'm a, I'm a consultant by trade, and a lot of what I know she taught me. Linda was a terrific encouragement as we went through difficulties when we were overseas. And she told me once, and I believe, that many days she wakes up, blink, the eyes open up, she looks at her ceiling, lies there for a second, thinks about the Lord, and then says, what are we going to do today? What a way to start your day. Lord, what are we going to do today? And genuinely be open to what he has for you. How many professed Christians are lost? How many lives are unchanged? Though they have submitted to baptism as a ritual or joined a church, these poor people recite prayers, go to church, perform prescribed rituals of their particular traditions, but they are essentially as they were before they began the rituals. For them, church is a place to perform duties that they imagine to be necessary for delivering them from the consequence of their sin. We all know people like that. And our hearts should break for them. We who are in communion with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords owe prayer and petition to the Lord that these people would be brought to him. Matthew 7, 22 and 23 says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles, and then, and this is chilling, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is more than a number of days. Eternal life speaks of a new spiritual quality of life, a new way of living based on a new relationship with the true and living God. Eternal life demands a new beginning. The one born from above is alive in Christ and knows it as surely as one knows that he possesses physical life. If you're born again, you know it. I used a device in a class that I was teaching some time ago, and I said, everybody said, oh yes, oh yes, I'm born again, you know. And I said, great, take 10 seconds and tell me what God has done in your life in the last 24 hours. And people were stumped because we don't think that way. We don't have an expectation that God is actually going to do something in our lives. We just go along doing our Christian thing. What would happen if every morning, every one of us woke up and said, what are we gonna do today? And then did it. 
We'd change the world. We'd certainly change the Oxford Hills. God never intended that we should content ourselves with being merely religious. Instead, the word of God teaches to walk by the Spirit, which is in Galatians, to walk in the works God prepared for us beforehand, Ephesians, to walk in love, Ephesians, and to walk as children of the light, Ephesians 5.8. In other words, Christ redeemed us to the praise of his glory. The new birth equips us to enter into his holy walk. Christ promises new life indeed, and if we possess that life, we know it. It's not a mere intellectual affirmation. We know it. We know it. Life as God intended is not necessarily an easy life, nor will those living as God intended often enjoy the approval of this world. However, they will enjoy the blessing of heaven and walk in certain knowledge that God is glorified through their actions. Only let all who name the name of the Lord live godly and righteous lives. I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead here because I want to, I want to curl back around to the video. I described a little bit to you of who we were when we went. Um, when I went to Africa, I was over 300 pounds. I lost 80 pounds in the first six months. We went there to work with another couple. Within two weeks, we found out that they had been lying about the core principles that brought us over there and that we really could have nothing more to do with them. Now, we're in the middle of nowhere. We sold everything. We gave away the stuff that we couldn't sell. We showed up in Africa with two suitcases apiece, and that's what we had. We were professionals. We quit our jobs and we moved to some obscure place in Zambia, only to find out that we had absolutely cratered and had no place to go. We're sleeping on a mattress. These people, we managed to make things work long enough to be able to build our little house. We're sleeping on a mattress in the corner of their house until we could get it all put together. We would wake up in the morning and say, my God, what have we done? We wept on that mattress. I got malaria within a week and a half of being there and was sick as a dog. Okay. I mean, it was a disaster. It was a disaster. You want to talk about people who were actively seeking God. Hello? Okay? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Prove it. I'm knocking. I'm asking. I've got a hold of you. I'm hanging on. Do something. I don't even know why I'm here anymore. The reason that we came to Zambia is completely evaporated. The Lord led me to make a presentation to 
15 churches, the elders of 15 churches. I had met one of the elders and become friendly with him. And he said, yeah, come talk to the elders. Man, I put on my jacket and tie, and if there had been electricity, it would have been total death by PowerPoint, okay? <laughs> I did a sales job on these guys. I'm telling you, I could have sold ice to Eskimos. And they all kind of sat there, inscrutably, you know, elders. That's what they did. And he just kind of sat there, sort of stroking the beard. Said, thank you, we've heard you, you know, and I left. A month later, they got back in touch with me and asked if I would come and teach. A week after that, I found out that they had been praying for years that God would send them someone who would be able to teach them. And that started our ministry. Trish with the women, me with the men. It's a ministry that expanded to a Bible school that was about 60 miles away. We set up an extension program, and that extension program is still running today, seven years later, by God's hand, not by mine. I had no idea. I was just, what are we going to do today? <laughs> so what came out of it? Trish and I grew together towards each other in a way that I don't even begin to know how to explain to you. And this is not hyperbole. It's true. And we both grew close to the Lord in ways that I didn't even know to anticipate. I didn't know that it could work that way. And he used us. And we're close to him. It was a new beginning. I mean, this was like putting a rocket in outer space for us. It was a new beginning. And now I'm sitting here going, okay, Lord, what are we going to do today? Because I'm not in Africa anymore. The work that he took us there to do, we did. We're close to him. Not sure where we're going to go from here. 2023, it could be the year. Who knows? So ask yourself, if that were you, that God had called to go to Zambia, would you do it? Would you do it? It's not the litmus test, but each one of us has those niggling little things in our lives where God is tapping us on the shoulder and we're going, not now, not now, I'm busy. Okay? Is 2023 the year where when he taps you on the shoulder, you say, here I am, Lord, send me. Father, we thank you that Jesus came and died for us. We thank you that you invite us to have relationship. Indeed, as the scripture said, you take our hand as a loving father and guide us in paths of righteousness. We pray, Father, that every one of us would be touched in such a way that we would hurry that we wouldn't just seek, that we would seize the opportunity to walk with you. We thank you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.